This is KMTT. And this is Ezra Bick. This is the beginning of our third week of KMTT since Pesach. Today is Monday. Yom Shini, Yud Zayin Iyar, Lamid Bet. Lamid Bet Ba'omer. The 32nd day of the Omer. A couple of months ago when we first started, we posted on the website instructions which... I didn't write myself. It was a link to a outside website explaining how to hack Windows Media Player to automatically transfer files from your computer to any MP3 device. I never actually tested the method myself. But this week I was trying to translate those instructions into Hebrew. I got to the last point and I... For the life of me, I can't figure out exactly what you're supposed to do. After you've set up the Windows Media and you connect your MP3 device, how do you get them to automatically sync? The instructions, at least to me, are unclear. And if they're unclear to me, I assume they'll be unclear to some of the readers as well. So if anyone who has successfully managed to do this, if you have your Windows Media on your computer transferring MP3 files from KMTT to a MP3 device, I would appreciate it if you would write to KMTT. It's KMTT at Kimitzion.org and and explain it to me. And in the meantime, I'm holding up, sending out the Hebrew instructions for the, the Hebrew programs, for Keshet. But if anybody can help me, I'd very much appreciate it. Today's shir is Monday shir, the shir of Harav Binyamin Tavori, the weekly mitzvah for Pashat Baha Bukhokotai. After the shir, I'll be back with the Halakha Yumit. In Parashat Bahar, the Torah tells us, V'chitim kerumim kad l'amitecha, o kanom yad amitecha, al tonushetachit. If you buy something or sell something to your friend, do not defraud him. The price should be fixed according to fair measures, and the Gemara in the fourth parak of Bavmetziah has a long uh, topic about the laws of fraud, onaa in halacha. We will discuss one particular issue, and that is the laws of fraud as it applies as, as it applies to hiring people to work for you. The Gemara of Messiah there says raises the question: If there's onaa fasechirus. If there is a din of fraud, the concept of fraud, when you rent something. The Torah said, The laws of fraud apply to sales, when you sell something. The Gemara then says, how do you look at rental? Is rental considered a type of a sale? For a certain amount of time, you do acquire rights to the rented item, or do you say, no, it's a different type of transaction, it's not considered mecher, and therefore the laws of fraud, ona do not apply. We'll discuss the laws of renting not property, and not renting uh, either real estate or uh, movable objects, but we'll discuss the issue of poalim, workers. The Rambam raises the issue in Hilchos 
Mechira, Perik Yud Gimel, the laws that do refer to sale, the Ramam says, in connection with the Halacha, that there is no, uh, the laws of fraud do not apply to uh, land, because land in general is not considered to have the laws of Onah, because uh, perhaps the value of land is very uh, dependent upon location and other factors, so the Ramam says the there's no din of fraud for buying land or even for renting land. In that connection, he continues with the laws of hiring workers. The Ramam says in Parak Yud Gimel Halacha Tesvav Hasoch of Hilchas Mechira Hasoch Resapor Lasos Ima Ben Bekarke Ben Metatlan Ein Lo Onah Mivdeishu Kikone Also Lizman Tavadim Ein Ba Monah. The Ramam says that if you hire a worker. A worker whom you pay by the hour. So the Ram says, I don't care what you hired him for. If you hired him to work on the land or to work with with movable items, you might give, for example, you give someone the laundry, to do the laundry. The Ram says, the laws of fraud do not apply. Why? It's as if you bought him temporarily. Somehow you have a payment the payment that you pay him is actually for he himself, for the person whom you hire. And there's a special law that there's no din of onah by slaves. So it seems the Rambam relates to a worker actually as a slave. For a temporary time, he's considered a slave. The Ramban agrees in general to the principle of the Rambam, that there is no din of fraud by hiring a worker, but he says because it's not considered a sale at all. The Rambam apparently thinks two things. One, that the law of fraud only applies to acts of actual sale. But in general, rentals are not considered sales, and therefore we would, and therefore it follows that there's no din at all of Allah by re- any rental. The second thing he, ha- he, he, the point of the Ramban is that uh, when you hire a worker, so it is considered an act of rental. It's not considered an act of buying him. You do not acquire him. We will deal mostly with the opinion of the Ramban because of the the time constraints that we have, but let's return to the Ramban, that there is no no, but not for the same reason as the Ramban. The Ramban said that there's no no because it's not considered a sale. The Ramban seems to say that it is considered a sale, but it's a sale of an asset, a sale like that you buy, or at least partially, you buy a, a slave, and therefore there's no law of no. The Rambam contrasts this in Halacha Yudches with a Chiddush that he made up. Yehroi Whenever the Rambam says Yehroi it seems to me he probably means that this is the law that he imagines, follows logically from his train of thought, but he did not find a source directly for it in Talmudic literature. Yehroi the Rambam says, it seems to me that a person who's called a kablan, the laws of fraud do apply to him. What's a kablan? 
A kablan is what we would call a person who undertakes a certain job. And what's the difference between in halacha between a poel and a kablan? A poel works by the hour. A poel means a worker. And you hire somebody at whatever price you pay him per hour to work in the house or outside the house. A kablan is a person you hire for the job. Like, he undertakes a certain responsibility, and his responsibility is to finish the product, return it, or fix it, or do whatever he's supposed to do, and then he finishes responsibility. The difference would be uh, very simple if a poel works five hours. But he didn't do such a long, extensive job. I hired someone to clean my house. And I pay them by the hour. After five hours, I'm disappointed they did not finish cleaning my house. I still have to pay them for five for five hours because I hired them as our workers as polalim. If I would hire a kablan to clean my house, it would mean I would say I'm going to pay you X amount of money to clean my house. I don't care if it takes him 20 minutes or it takes him 22 hours. His responsibility is to clean the house until he finishes cleaning the house. I don't have to pay him if he says. For whatever reason it seems that he didn't clean the house, I don't have to pay him until he finishes cleaning. The Rambam says, therefore, it seems to me, as opposed to a poel, a, a worker who works by the hour, that there is no fraud, there is no concept of fraud in hiring a worker. And when you hire a kablan, there is a law of fraud. Okay, the Rambam says, if I hire someone to tailor a garment for me, whatever price we make up, I hire a tailor. And whatever price I make has to be fair, just, and adequate. Otherwise, it's onah. And onah besides the Easter, creates an automatic uh, cancellation if the Omar is over a certain amount, if the fraud reaches more than a six over the price, so the, or below a six or over a six, and the whole transaction is considered invalid, you can just stop and start again. So we see from the Rambam that a Kablan, which does not really seem to be a type of mechira, a sale, but nevertheless, the law of Ona applies to a kablan. However, in Eved, even though there seems to be a type of mechira here, a type of sale, but nevertheless, there's no fraud because he's considered a slave and there's no law of fraud by slaves. The commentators in the Rambam raise the issue that the distinction between a kablan and an eved, the, dis, uh, the kablan and a poel, the distinction between the day worker as opposed to the person who's hired to do a job seems a little difficult because we paskin it follows that the worker who works on an object. Let's say I gave him metal and I asked him to make a ring for me. So you could learn 
that really what I'm doing is giving him raw material, which he forms into a ring, and then he sells me the ring as if it's a new ring. If that would be true, then I understand that he's selling me an object that the laws of fraud should apply. But we Paskin, we follow the opinion that the Uman, this worker, does not acquire the ring. He doesn't sell me the ring. I do pay him for the work. If I pay him for the work, why is he inherently different than a regular poel? This is a question raised, for example, by the, by the Magid Mishnah. The Mishnah the Melech, one of the commentaries printed on the standard editions of the Rambam, tries to answer this question. And he said, there is another distinction between a poel and a kablan. The Gemara says that a poel, a worker, can change his mind, can back out of the deal, even if he started working. Why? Because the Torah told us, actually, in today's Sedra in Bahar, that we are all slaves to God. And the Gemara explains, the Bedrish says even deeper, they're my slaves. They're not slaves to other slaves. It's problematic for a person to sell himself or be sold by Bezdin, by the courts, into slavery. The Poel, the worker, is not a slave. And we don't want him to be involved in this particular problem of selling himself into slavery, as it were. And therefore, because in certain respects he sounds and seems to be a slave, we gave him the right to back out. Apparently, the right to back out would preempt the problem of being a slave. Therefore, it does, some, it does make sense that an Eved, the Poel, the worker, is considered as if he's selling himself. He is selling himself. He is, in certain respects, like a slave. However, he must be able to have to change his mind, to back out, in order for him not to really be considered a slave for the purpose of that he really seems to be a slave. So, the Mishnah Melech adds, but a Kablan cannot change his mind. Kablan Why is it that a Kablan cannot change his mind? Once a person enters an agreement to be a kablan, the worker who works for to supply a finished product, he cannot change his mind. What's the reason? Apparently, there is no reason to allow him this special right of changing his mind because he's not he doesn't seem to be a slave in the first place. Only slaves are exempt from the laws of fraud. The law of fraud does not apply to to slaves. However. A kablan is not a slave. He never was a slave. Therefore, he has no right to change his mind. And therefore, 
the Mishnah the Melech wants to explain that the Ramah thinks since a, pol, a kablan is not a slave, therefore there, the law of fraud does apply to him. This, however, this idea raised by the Mishnah the Melech, however, requires a little bit more analysis. Because the Rambam really does think that there is some, no sort of ownership over a slave. The Rambam found in Shluchim Veshutvim, in the section of the Rambam which regards workers who are partners, messengers, the Rambam ha- says in Paragdalit Halachabes, Ha'umnim Shnishtatu Bu'umanus, if two workers decided to work together as a partnership, artisans, work in partnership, the Rambam says they're not considered really partners. Because there's no such thing as selling yourself to someone else. Ein adam davar I say, for example, we, you and I will work together and we'll make, uh, new, we'll make suits for people. But you can't make some sort of a Kenyan, a mode of acquisition on the suits because the suits do not exist. You cannot sell or buy anything that doesn't exist. So the Ram says, therefore, they're not considered partners. The Raivet on the spot says he could, because a person could be maknet A person could somehow become a partner with another artisan by selling himself to the other person. And he, how can you sell yourself? He says avadim. The same way that an Evet can sell himself. A person can sell himself to his friend as some sort of slave, some sort of indebture. It seems that the argument here between the Raman and the Raivet would be whether there is a, a really Kenyan in the body himself of the person who's selling himself, as if it were. He's trying to rent himself out to someone else, and the discussion is, is there actually a Kenyan in such a thing? The Rambam says there isn't. If there isn't, there's no Kenyan at all in the Evet. There's no formal mode of acquisition which I acquire him, and I really don't acquire him. So why is he considered an Evet? Why is he considered, in our case, like an Evet, that the laws of fraud don't apply to him? I didn't really buy him. I don't really own him. So why is it that the laws of fraud don't apply the same way laws don't apply to buying a slave? Moreover, the Mishnah Melech raised the, his observation on the fact that there is a distinction between the right to change your mind in the middle of your work between a poel and a kablan. A poel, the Gemara says, can change his mind at all times because we, he needs to avert the real problem of being an Evet, of being a slave. But a Kablan cannot change his mind at all times. Apparently, the Mishnah Melech said there's an inherent difference between Evet and a Kablan. However, it seems that the Rambam himself disagrees with this point too. The Rambam says 
that in, in Hilchos Chilus, there's a section in the Rambam on the laws of rental. And the Rambam in that section has laws of rental of all types of things, all types of rentals, of land, of movable objects, of workers, all that is found there. In Perak Tes, Halacha Dalit, the Rambam says, Kefsa Dina Poel Shechazado. Uh, what is the law of a poel who changes his mind? The Ramam preceded that by saying, poel can always change his mind, even in mid-work, midday, because the Gemara is called the Pasuk, the Pasuk in Parsha is, and as I said before, and the Ramam goes on to say, and what is the law? when he does change his mind. After he worked, you have to pay him according to what he did, and he receives the money. Then the Ramam says, And if he's a Kablan, then you have to assess it based on what there still is to do. So, the issue of how to assess it is not our issue right now. But it just seems from the Ramam that he thinks that everybody can change his mind, whether he be a Kablan or he be a Poel. Both of them can change their mind. So apparently, in a certain respect, there's no distinction between a Poel and a Kablan as their relationship in being a slave is. They're both some sort of workers for other people, and therefore they could change their mind. The law, this right of changing your mind, applies, according to Ramam, because of Adayim. And that's right, applies to a poem and a Kabbalah equally. So we're back to our original question. Why did the Rambam really say that there's no law of fraud as opposed to a worker, as opposed to a poel, because he is like an Eved, whereas a Kablan, the law of fraud does apply to him, and somehow he's not considered an Eved. What is the inherent difference? So I'd like to explain the answer that many people have given this is printed, for example, in Evan Ha'azel, and this is Alman's Sefer in the Rambam. So, he gives the following explanation. There is an inherent difference between a Poe and a Kablan, not whether there is a really a Kenyan in what the, in the person himself. The Rambam might really think there is no Kenyan in them. However, the question is, at the end of the day, when you do pay them, why do you pay them? As far as the law of Baltalim goes, as far as the law that says you're not allowed to hold back the wages of a worker, both a, you, you are required by law, someone works for you, you have to pay him that very day. You're not allowed to wait till the next day to pay him, you must pay him on that particular day. That law apparently applies to a poel and a kablan as well, which is another reason to assume there is no difference between a poel and a kablan. In both cases, I have to pay them on the same day. So, we're back to our original problem. Why did the Ram distinguish between the laws of poel and kablan? Why did he say that with a poel, a worker, there's no law of onah because it's like you bought a slave? But even though the Ramam thinks 
that there is no ownership of a slave in, of the poel like there is ownership of a real avet. Nevertheless, there's no onah, there's no fraud by a slave, but they, there is onah by a kablan. The answer that Rebisa Zalmans says is that although I neither own a an evet, a poel, nor a kablan, neither a Kenyan, neither a Poel or a Kablan is really owned by the Adon. And indeed, that we must pay them both on the same day, on the same time, there's no distinction between between them. When I do pay the Eved, the Poel, who is like an Eved, there is an inherent difference what I pay him for. I pay the Eved for the hours that he worked. His work requires payment. The Kablan is not paid for his hours. He's not paid for the time that he invested. He's not paid for his work at all. He's paid for the finished product. In that respect, a Poel is like an Eved that I pay him for his time. It's as if the time that he worked is sold to me. That, of course, is not involved in an unusual case of sale. It's like an Eved. He's like a slave whose time belongs to me, although there is might be a difference that in the Eved I might own him, whereas in the Poel I don't really own him, but I do pay him for the time. Time, paying someone for time is as if you're treating him as a slave, even though you do not really own him. And therefore, he can change his mind at any time. And therefore, the Raman thinks there's no, there's no law of fraud when I hire a worker. However, a Kablan, even though he does not really sell me the finished object, we, as I said before, means the Uman really doesn't own the Kaili that he sold to me. It really retains its original ownership, the metal that was formed, for example, into a new thing, really always belonged to the original owner. It's not that the Kablan is selling it to him. Nevertheless, when you do pay him, what do you pay him for? You pay him for the fact that he finished the product. You pay him for a product rather than for the time of work. In that respect, he doesn't resemble a slave. And therefore, it's as if I'm paying him for a product, and therefore the Raman thinks the laws of fraud apply to this as if, as it were considered a type of a sale. On the other hand, once I pay them, I have to pay them both the same way. I pay them on the same day because the law of Baltalim, that law of not pay of not holding back the payment, the payment that day would apply equally to the case where I pay him for his time or that I pay him for the finished product. I'd like to conclude that the difference between the Poel and the Kablan is well known in connection with the beginning of the other parsha that we read the Shabbat. We've discussed the law of fraud as applies to, as is found in Parashat Bahar. The beginning of Parashat Bechukotai begins in Bechukotai Telechu, You should follow if you follow, walk in the ways of my laws, 
and observe my commandments. The famous Rashi begins, Havu Amelim Batorah. A person should, the laws of adhering, walking according to the laws of the Torah, means to, to work in Torah. The word Amal means really heavy work. Adam Amal Yulad. A man is created with the concept of heavy work. What the work would be if it's Amala Shal Torah, Amala Shal Hevel, is found in the Musa books. What, what the work that a person was created to perform. But the Chachmeh Musar, all the people who have dealt with the ethics of Judaism have tried to point out very often that Amelim Batorah doesn't just mean to learn. It means to invest time in learning Torah. The idea would be that when we learn Torah, we learn Torah really as a poel and not as a kablan. The difference would be, of course, when you learn what are you what are you being what are you accomplishing and what mitzvah are you fulfilling. When I gave the example before of cleaning a house, let's give an example of fixing shoes. If I give my shoes to a shoemaker and tell him that I need new soles, and he works on it for four hours, at the end he comes back to me and said, I really worked for four hours. I tried my best to to do the job, but I couldn't do it. If he's a poel, if there's a person I paid by the hour, I would have to pay him what he did for those four hours. But if he's, if I hired him as a kablan, which is the way normally I think we would hire a person who, a shoemaker today, we tell him, I want you to fix, put on new soles. If he did it in four hours or he did it in two minutes, I wouldn't pay him any differently. Theoretically, if a person would know some magical trick that he could do this without any effort whatsoever, I would still have to pay him the same amount of money that we ar- arranged originally. So the Chachmei Musar explained, we learned Torah, we're actually learning like a poel and not a kaplan. It's not our responsibility to finish the the finished product. We can't finish everything and we do not get paid by the finished product. And mailing by Torah means the effort that's put into the Torah is what we are rewarded for. The amount of time that we learn, the amount of energy and effort that we expend in studying Torah is really the requirement that we have. In the world of yeshivas, they say in the name of one of the Gedolim of the last generation that he gave a shear, and at the end of a shear, someone asked him a question, and he really had no answer. And that somehow seemed to reject the entire principle that he had suggested in the shear. And his answer to the student was, I'm not a poel. I'm not a kablan. I'm a poel. I'm not, I did not undertake, when I became a Rebbe, when I became a Rosh Hashiva, I did not undertake the responsibility of answering every cash in the world. I never promised, I never thought that I could give a finished product in everything I do. But what I did undertake is to spend the time involved in learning Torah. I'm a poel. And since I'm a poel, in in that respect, I'm like an effort to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's true that regular Eved ain't gufo konli, but your time belongs to the Adon. In that respect, I'm a poel when I learn Torah. I belong to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And that is the way we fulfill what Rashi's idea is. In Bukhukotai Telechu means Hevu Amelim Batorah.
You've been listening to Harav Yamin Tavori, the weekly mitzvah. Now for the Halacha Yomit. At the end of Shmon Esrei, one recites the Pasuk, Yihiyu l'ratzon imrei fi v'hegyon nibi l'fanecha Hashem tzuri v'gorali. This is mentioned in the Gemara. The Gemara says that before Shmon Esrei, one says Hashem svatai tiftach ufi agiti latecha, and after Shmon Esrei, one says Yihiyu l'ratzon. Concerning the Pasuk before Shmon Esrei, the Gemara says it's called Tfila Arichta. That Pasuk is a long davening. In other words, it's part of Shmon Esrei. There's a halachic necessity for that, as we explained a few weeks ago, because one is not allowed to interrupt between Ga'al Yisrael and Shmon Esrei. But you had the Pasuk, Hashem Svatai Tiftach. The Gemara says that's part of Shmon Esrei. There is no such question, there is no problem at the end of Shmon Esrei. But by inference, since both these psukim come in the same statement, they were added to Shmon Esrei, so to speak, in the same package, it does imply that Hashem Svatai Tiftach is part and parcel of Shmon Esrei. For this reason, the poskim, going back to the Rashba, state that if one is towards the end of Shmon Esrei, and the Chazan has already begun to daven, and he's about to say Kedusha, and you'd like to answer Kedusha, but you cannot answer Kedusha if you're in the middle of Shmon Esrei. If you're after Shmon Esrei, then of course you can. So, Elokai Nitzor, the paragraph we add after Shmon Esrei, and that indeed is after Shmon Esrei, it's called Tachanunim Shel Achar HaTfilah, it's extra petitions after the Tfilah, so one can answer Kedusha then. But the Vashba says you should say Yehud HaRatzon first, because Yehud HaRatzon is part and parcel of Shmon Esrei. And therefore one should not be mafsik, even by saying Kedusha, between HaMabarech HaTamar Yisrael B'Shalom and Yehud HaRatzon. Now, in many Sidurim, older Sidurim, Yuratzon did not appear immediately after the Bacha of Hamavarech Atamo Yisrael Bashalom, but appeared at the end of Elokai Nitzah. Well, the logical is Elokai Nitzah has been added to Shmon Esra, and you say Yuratzon at the very, very, very end. However, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, that one should say before Elokai Nitzah, because Yuratzon is part of Shmon Esra, Elokai Nitzah is an addendum. The Rama on the spot says uh, the minig is both ways. There's a minute to say it only at the end of Alakain Nitzah, and he doesn't criticize the minig. Apparently, the minig is, is okay in his eyes, and, and, and he accepts the possibility. But many poskim say, in, even after the Rama, that you really should follow the Psach of and say it immediately after Shmon Esrei. However, you can say it twice. If you really want to end, you feel it's important to end Shmon Esrei with the Yudah Ratzal, you should say it once right after the Bracha, Hamavarech Atamayisav Shalom. Then you add things. Our minag, our noag, is to add al the shani mira. And when you finish that, you can and should perhaps say yud ratzon again. But in any event, until you say yud ratzon, you cannot be masik in any way, uh, and therefore it's it's important to say it uh, to say it early. The same problem arises on uh, Yom Kippur, where at the end of Shmon Esrei we say vidui. We say Hashanu Baganu and the Alchets, and it comes after the Bracha of Mavarechet Hamayisav Shalom. In all traditional Machzavim, there is no Yudah Ratzon there. Yudah Ratzon again is waiting for the very end, the end of the Yorkain Itzal. But uh, by the same logic, one should add it and say it before the Vidu, because the Vidu really is extra. It's part of the petitionary added parts to Shmon Esrei. But Shmon Esrei itself, the, the basic body of Shmon Esrei, should end with Yudah Ratzon. And again, in terms of being mafzik, before the Ratzon, you cannot say anything. After the Ratzon, when saying of Elkai Nitzor, we'll talk about this more tomorrow, when saying of Elkai Nitzor, so one has the ability to, when one's permitted to interrupt under certain 
conditions. We'll discuss those conditions tomorrow. And that's it for today. You've been listening to the Monday broadcast of KMTT, the Mitzvah HaShavuit, the weekly mitzvah by Rav Tavori. This is Ezra Beck. I brought you the Halacha Yomit. And this has been KMTT, the Torah, the Torah podcast, wishing you kol tov, bekat ha-Torah, mitzion, umiyetzion, and a happy Lag Baomer, kol tov, miyishivat ha-Ritzion, ba'alon shfot. We'll be back tomorrow with the shiur on essentials in Abadat Hashem of Harav Meish Taragin. Call to.